Father, we come this morning as we turn our eyes to your word and we give you thanks and praise that you are the one true holy God. You are holy and you have come through your son Jesus to make us holy. Oh, Father, may our hearts burn with desires that would bring honor and glory to you, that that we would so conform our lives around the life of Jesus, that we would be men and women who seek to live out of the holiness, this gift that you've given us. And so I pray now as, as you speak to us through your word, I pray, come Holy Spirit, come take this incredible ancient truth and let it ring true in our hearts and our minds today. Lord, I pray that you would convict us and challenge us, that you would comfort and encourage us. But overall, I pray, come Holy Spirit, come do what you long to do in our midst among us today, and may we come yielding our lives to you. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a professor at one of the seminaries in Germany when the Nazi regime was entering into Germany and spreading all throughout Europe. Much of the church in Germany at that time had to go underground. The seminary that he taught at was small at the time, 25 students, and he didn't just teach them theological truths out of the Scriptures, he taught them life. He taught them community. He didn't just teach them, they actually learned how to live in community with one another. They experienced life together. You see, they prayed together, they ate together. They read God's Word together. They played together. They did truly life together. And and all this, as you know, was going on in the midst of a war. They took life seriously. They took their faith seriously. Because in those days, they had to. There was no place for isolation in the midst of a war. In 1937, the seminary was closed by the Nazis. All the students were arrested That next year, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book titled Life Together. What does life look like in the midst of challenges? How do we live life together where we really are a people who pray together, who read God's Word together, who share meals together, who play together? You see, he was sharing what that looks like in the midst of a time when pressure was mounting Difficulties were increasing and tensions were on the rise. Now, I share that with you today because that's much of the context, much of what was going on in the early church when the author of Hebrews wrote this letter or sermon. They were going through a time where pressure was mounting, difficulty was increasing, tensions were rising. Now, while the specific situation that they lived in was different than what Bonhoeffer lived in, The circumstances, the larger context is much the same. They were facing tremendous odds from the culture around them. Many were beginning to question God's goodness. I mean, think about living in the time of of great challenges. They were beginning to go, God, are you really here? Are you really with us? Are you really faithful? And some of them in questioning God were beginning to turn away from God. You know, I mentioned this as we're going through the book of Hebrews in this season Because, friends, Hebrews speaks to us right where we are today. This ancient letter in the Scriptures is so relevant to where you and I live today. And I believe that the church 
here in America in particular is at a crossroads today. Christendom, as we know it, is ending. We live in a time where Christianity is being marginalized. The church is seen as irrelevant. The temptation to blend in, to acquiesce or compromise into the culture is becoming greater and greater and more being tempted to begin to blend in with the cultural norms as opposed to living out of the truth of a set-apart people for God's glory. You see, when pressure mounts, difficulties increase, tensions are on the rise, it can be hard or easy, actually, for all of us to develop a hard heart toward God. Maybe some of you have been questioning him lately in the challenges that you've been facing. God, where are you in all of this? God, can I trust you? I don't know what's ahead, but are you going to be reliable? Are you going to do what you've promised? Are you going to be faithful? Questions that, that many of us are asking today. And so what the author of Hebrews does here in chapter 3 is he's writing to challenge the church, us, to guard against having or developing a hardened heart. So that's what I want to look at for the next few minutes. First, what is a hard heart and, and how does it begin to form in our lives? And then secondly, how do we guard against developing a hardened heart? So let's dive in and look at this first point. What is a hard heart? And how does it begin to form and shape in our lives? Here's what I would say a hard heart is. It's one that's no longer trusting in the goodness of God. It's one that one time trusted, but through the difficulties and trials and challenges, one has all of a sudden begun to not trust in God's goodness anymore. It's one who no longer believes that God will provide, protect, and satisfy You see, a person who develops a hard heart, it grows slow, you know, and slowly we begin to drift away to where all of a sudden we turn and we chart our own course, and it's not in a Godward direction. And so what the author of Hebrews here is doing is he's opening our eyes to step back and go, wait a minute, what does my heart look like these days? What's the trajectory of my heart right now? And what he does, if you look at the passage, He's quoting in verses 7 through 11, he's quoting Psalm 95. Now, Psalm 95 is a beautiful psalm. If you don't, you you might have your Bible. If you do, you can turn to it. It begins with these words, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Then as the psalmist goes on, he turns and he writes these words, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. You see, these first century Jewish Christians would have been very familiar with this psalm, especially those passages, because it was read every time they gathered in the synagogue to worship. It was read as a call to worship. Now think about that. You hear us every Sunday doing a call to worship from one of the Psalms. What if that was read every Sunday we came in? Do not harden your hearts. Maybe sometimes we need that more than we hear it. Because the reality is it can be very easy to develop a hard heart. And so what God is doing here is he's giving a sober reminder to these early Christians and to you and me today say, look, remember what the Israelites did. 
Remember how they turned away from me. Remember how they developed a hard heart. Now, these verses from Psalm 95 draw two particular scenes, draw us to two scenes in the Old Testament that were very important for the Israelites to look back on. The first one takes us back to Exodus chapter 17. Now, let me set the context. If you've been here the past, gosh, year or so, we looked at the book of Exodus. And remember, the Israelites had been in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. And they cried out to God, and God heard their cries, and in his mercy and grace came and delivered them out of Egypt. Now, picture the scene, over a million people coming out of slavery in Egypt. God takes them, and they're all of a sudden faced with the Red Sea. God literally parts the Red Sea. The Israelites walk through on dry ground. As they turn and look back, they're all safe on the other side. Many of the, many of the uh, uh, Egyptians were in the midst of the river. The river closes on them. Now, I don't know what you would do, but I would celebrate in that moment, and that's what they did. They sang a song of praise to God, rightly fitting, right? But then can I tell you what happened right away after that? They were beginning to journey through the wilderness, and they were thirsty. And they said, we want water. Well, they didn't ask kindly of the Lord, can you bring us some water? They demanded it. And they said, we want water now. And if you don't give us water now, we're going to turn from you. And that was their posture. And all of a sudden, they said, fine, you're not going to give us water right now. We're not going to continue to believe in you. And their hearts became hard. It's a reminder how easily our hearts can become hard, friends. You see, their hearts became hard. They were no longer faithful to God. You see, they saw the work of God, that incredible miracle, but they didn't make use of it. I wonder if any of you are in that place. You've seen God do mighty things. No, you haven't seen him part the Red Sea, (laughs) but you've seen him do things in your life and the lives of others. But sometimes we see these things, but then we don't make any use of it at all. And we begin to grumble when life gets hard. And that grumbling turns into a hard heart. You see, here's what happened. The Israelites failed to remember God's provision in the past, and they failed to trust his promises for the future. When we fall into that trap, we begin to grumble, and our hearts become hard. So let me ask you this morning, where is your heart? Are you a grumbler? Would the person next to you say you're a grumbler? (laughs) We don't want to admit it a lot of times, but you look at the person next to you or down there, yeah, maybe so. Has life dealt you some blows and you're all of a sudden you find yourself in that cycle of complaining after one thing after another? Friends, that's a wake-up call to us because we can all fall into that trap. It's a wake-up call to turn back, to remember God's provision in the past and look forward to his promises in the future. Because if we don't, we're going to begin to blame God. That's the first thing it takes us back to. The second scene many of you will be familiar with, it's in um, Numbers chapter 13 and 14. It's that scene when the Israelites had wandered through the wilderness and they're, they're kind of on the edge of the promised land. Now, this is before the 40 years, but they're kind of on the edge. And Moses tells them to send 12 spies into the promised land to see what that land's like. Because you know what God had told them? It was a land flowing with milk and honey. It was going to be amazing. They would have fruit. They would have meat. They would have things that they hadn't had for years. 
and abundance. And so these 12 men go in and spy out the land, and sure enough, they saw it was all what they expected, an incredible abundance. But you know what they also saw? Giants in the land. They saw the people. And these people were people of great stature. You know the story? Some of you have heard the story, David and Goliath. Goliath was from the the clans that were living in the promised land at that time. So these tall people, and I kind of liken it like this. I said it in the first service. So our, our oldest daughter, Anne Claire, is 4 feet 11 inches. And she married someone, Connor, who is 6, well, 6'6", six, six maybe. And so that's a big discrepancy there. You know, you see that. And so, like, Connor's a giant compared to Anne Claire. The spies were like Anne Claire, you know. But they saw the people with these giants, and they came back. And instead of saying, hey, this is an amazing place that God is giving us in abundance, you know what they did? Ten of the spies said, wait a minute, but did you see the people? They were huge. They're going to annihilate us. There's no way we're going to make it in there. And all the Israelites heard them, and they began to grumble, and their hearts got heart toward God. But two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, said, no, listen, remember, they remembered the promise God is giving us this land. We can do it. If God said it, it will happen. But the people wouldn't listen to him. And so their hearts became hard. And the, the, the penalty there was that they had ended up wandering 40 years in the wilderness. And that group never made it into the promised land. You see, what I want you to see here is, friends, how easy it is to develop a heart that becomes hard You see, what happened with the Israelites in this scene is fear gripped their hearts and they allowed what they saw to become bigger than the promise of the God that they had served. I don't know what giants are in your land right now, what things are larger before you, but friends, I want to encourage you, whatever that is, is not larger than the God we serve. And it's the call to come back, to turn our eyes back to the Lord You see, they failed to remember his provision and they failed to believe in the promise that was ahead. I want you to hear these words. You know, we we can read these when um, in verse 7. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And then we can just kind of go on and say, because don't do this. What God is communicating, actually the way he's communicating, is an emphatic command, don't do it. Like what he's saying is, don't even, don't even start down that journey of having a hard heart. Don't even take one step on that road. Do you know why? Because what we have today in Christ is a revelation so much greater than what they had back then. And so the call is, don't even start to go down that path. Instead, turn and fix your eyes on Jesus The author of Hebrews writes, the author and perfecter of our faith, he is the one greater than Moses. He is the one, the greater champion who leads the way. He was the one who was always faithful to the Lord in the midst of incredible difficulty. Turn and set your eyes on Christ and your heart will remain soft for his honor and glory. You see, here's the thing. A hard heart comes from the inability to see. The inability to see God in the midst of whatever is right before us. It comes from the inability to hear the Lord speak. And it comes from failing to remember his promises. Friends, here's where we are today. 
We are in a time where pressure is mounting, where tensions are rising and difficulties are increasing all around us. Some of you in this room have gone through tremendous challenges lately, and I don't know what's ahead, but I have a feeling things are going to get more and more difficult and more and more challenging. What are you going to do when the bottom drops out? What are you going to do when life throws you that curveball, what you did not expect? What are you going to do when you face one challenge after another? Are you going to hold fast to the Lord that he will get you through? Or are you going to turn like the Israelites and develop a hard heart? That's the question before us, isn't it? So let me ask you this. Don't raise your hands, but who among here came in with a hard heart today? (laughs) You know, sometimes the whole of our hearts can be hard, but sometimes just small places in our hearts can be hard toward God because we might not have gotten something we asked for. Let me ask you this. Does an attitude of unbelief characterize your life? Are you someone who is quick to complain, quick to grumble about your circumstances? You have a calloused, unappreciative heart. Has your heart grown hard towards somebody else? You know, maybe it's a relationship that you have. Maybe it's someone that you have loved, but when pressure mounted, difficulty increased, tensions rose, your heart became hard. And instead of turning back to listen to the Lord, God, what do you want to do with me in this challenging situation? Your hearts become hard toward them, And then your hearts become hard toward the Lord. And we stop listening to the Lord. Friends, that's a wake-up call for us this morning, isn't it? A hard truth, but one that if we are willing to receive, we'll see the freedom and joy we're able to find as we turn back to the Lord. So let me hit the second point, and it's going to be brief. I've told you what a hard heart is. So where's the hope? How do we guard ourselves from from developing or, or allowing a hard heart to form in our lives? Two things, very briefly, I'm going to name. First is this. We guard against a hard heart by listening to the voice of the Lord. Listening to the voice of the Lord. Look at verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice. Today if you hear his voice. Can I tell you, the Holy Spirit is speaking today, friends. Are you going to listen? You see, it's more than just listening. It's listening and then turning to trust by faith and then walk in obedience. The Holy Spirit is speaking today. Here's the reality. Every time you and I open the Word of God, the Lord is speaking to us. The great danger is this. When we fail to immerse ourselves in the Word of God, I would say daily, friends, because this is is life-giving to you and me. When we fail to immerse ourselves in the Word of God, we're going to be like a boat that has become unmoored from the dock, and it's going to drift out to sea, and it's going to to then begin to chart its own course. If, If we are not letting this be our standard, our guide, our foundation in all of life, and all the intricacies and challenges that we go through, friends, that we will become unmoored. And when we become unmoored, our hearts will become hard. So the first call is to listen to the Word of God. And so listen to this. This is chapter 3, verse 1. Listen to what the author of Hebrews wrote. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, you who share in a heavenly calling, 
Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Okay, that word consider isn't just a glance, read and then kind of go on. That word consider is pregnant with meaning. Here's what it means. It means to slow down and contemplate, to ponder. It means to pay attention, to look carefully at Jesus. You want to know how to make it and navigate the days ahead that we're in? Look to Jesus who navigated the cross for you and me. And he came out on the other side being resurrected. Friends, there is hope. As we set our eyes on Christ, as we consider Christ, he will show us what it looks like to navigate every day ahead. But then look at verse 13. Again, God speaking to us. It's the importance of opening our eyes to the deceitfulness of our own sin. Now, that can be challenging, can't it? Because that's not really the inclination. We don't like to focus on our sin. I don't. But, friends, I need to, and so do you, because we can be so deceived by our sin that it pulls us away from trusting in the living God that we serve. And so we need a healthy rhythm of, of, of seeing our sin, seeing how God sees it, that we can come openly before him. We are not pushed away. We are not kicked aside. We are welcomed by his grace, that as we repent, we receive forgiveness, and our hearts are redirected to the love of God. Be careful that we're carried away by the deceitfulness of our sin if we don't look at it as we ought to. And the last thing in this here is verse 6. We're called to hold fast to our confidence that our hope is in the Lord. Again, God speaks to us through his word and he guides us on what it looks like to live this side of heaven. So let me say this as I end that first one. The antidote to a hard heart is exposure to the living word of God. That's the first thing. The second is this. The second is the importance, and I bring it back to what Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book wrote. It's learning how to live life together. Friends, what the church needs today what we're wanting to lean into and discipleship ahead at St. Andrews is that we would really be a people who don't just show up on Sunday mornings and that we don't see each other again till the next Sunday, but that we begin to learn how to live life, as Bonhoeffer titled it, together, where we are around each other, where we're praying together, we're reading God's word together, we're talking about what is he doing in our lives, we're asking questions of the text with each other, we're playing together. We're having fun together. We're eating meals together. We're living life together. Now, why is that important? Friends, because if you're out there all alone, isolated, when that curveball comes your way and you're thrown off course and you don't have other friends around you to encourage you and spur you on, guess what's going to happen? You're going to raise a fist at God and you're going to begin to turn your own way. So we read this here in Hebrews 3, verses 12 through 14. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Friends, that's the charge. We need to be a people here at St. Andrews that when people ask, what's this church like in the community? They say, God, those people love each other. Like those people like being around each other. They live in community. They encourage one another. 
And the reason they know that is because we then begin to encourage others in the community. But that's what we need to be about, friends. It's one of the ways that we guard from having a hard heart. Challenging words today, but friends, they are words we need to hear and be woken up to in this day in which we live so that we can stand firm in the glory of God's truth, that we listen to his voice, and that we learn all over again what it looks like to truly live life together. And I end with this verse. It's from Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 16. So rich. We're called to be strong and courageous. We, see, we read, Do not be in fear or dread of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Whatever's before you, whatever comes knocking on your day tomorrow or in six months, remember these words, the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Amen? Father, Lord, thank you for this word. Thank you for the truth, for the challenge. But it's so easy for parts of our hearts to grow hard. Oh, would you come through your Holy Spirit and and convict us and soften our hearts so that they would shine and radiate your glory. Come do this work in our midst. In Christ's name, amen.